This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. Welcome back to the Relic Radio Show, 60 minutes of golden age radio drama brought to you by RelicRadio.com and supported by the listeners. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com. Find out how you can help support this and all of the shows, help keep them coming every week. Thank you, as always, to those who have. Now for today's show, we're going to hear first from Box 13. We'll hear Short Assignment, their episode from November 28, 1947. After that, it's The Man Who Corrupted Hadleyburg from Favorite Story. This one aired September 24, 1949. Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Box 13, box 13, box 13, box. He looked deeply into her eyes which reflected his mood like twin lakes of azure blue. Azure blue. Why does a woman always have to have azure eyes? Why couldn't they be fire engine red? As his muscular arms tightened around her fragile... Susie. Oh, Mr. Holliday, I'm not fragile, but I'm sure scared. Somebody's been following me. With those legs? Why not? I I was petrified, afraid to look back even. His footsteps kept going click, cluck, click, cluck. Real sinister-like. Oh, I bet that's him now. Mr. Click, cluck? Oh, Mr. Holliday, he followed me all the way from box 13. And now, Box 13, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Well, this is a brand new twist. Besides a message from Box 13, Susie has brought a mysterious caller. Somebody who wants in, but definitely. Don't answer it, Mr. Holliday. Now, now, Susie. You didn't see this person, huh? No, I, I just felt him following me like a, uh, like a phantom. Except his heels went click, cluck, click, cluck. Oh. That doesn't sound so dangerous. Let's take a chance. Come in. Oh. <laughs> Silly me. I ought to be ashamed for being such a fraidy cat. Look who it is. Well, Susie, who is it? I don't know. Who are you, mister? My name is George Flitt. I'm a, a detective. And you're Dan Holliday, the writer. It's, it's on the door. A detective, huh? <laughs> Why, well, isn't any bigger than me. But I have nerves of steel and the heart of a lion. Oh, oh, I see. And what brings you here, Mr. Flitt? Well... Boo! Ah, ah, 
Nerves of steel. Heart of a lion. <laughs> that was no fair, girlie. You took me by surprise. Susie. Now, Mr. Flitt. Why don't you open the envelope I put in box 13? Here it is, Mr. Holliday. Oh, thanks. Open it. I'm all goose lumps. Okay. Well, what do you know? Why, there's nothing written on the paper. Hmm. How about that, Flit? See how clever I am? I put that envelope in box 13 as bait. As bait? Yes, I knew it would lead me to the person who put the ad in the Star Times, Adventure Wanted. Well, go any place and do anything. Very clever, Mr. Flit. What made your footsteps go click, cluck, click, cluck? <laughs> oh, that. I lost the metal cleat off of one of my heels. Oh. Well, now that you've discovered me, Mr. Flit, what? Mr. Holliday, I'd say you're just the man for the job. Job? Something exciting, you hope, huh, Mr. Holliday? I'd handle it myself, only I'm so tiny. Besides, I've done mostly divorce work. <laughs> just the right height for keyholes. But uh, about the job. Well, I'm coming to that. Uh, Mr. Gilbert Bolton sent me $50 just to attend the party tonight. $50? I should have been a detective. Oh, you can be. I'll split with you if you'll go to the affair in my place as me. Forget the money. What's the catch? Oh, there's really no catch. Uh, only thing Mr. Bolton said was there might be a little uh, bloodshed. <laughs> Well, 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 this holiday is the wackiest situation yet from good old Box 13. Yes, holiday, you must be hard up for story ideas. Hard up for brains, too. Otherwise, why are you riding with George Flitt, detective, in his hot rod jalopy? Destination, bloodshed. And you've never met this Bolton who's having the party. No, but he phoned and explained that the party is going to be at his nephew's place, uh, Kenneth Bolton. Kenneth, huh? Uh, what about the bloodshed? Well, as I understand it, Kenneth's father, that is, uh, Gilbert Bolton's brother, committed suicide not so long ago. Oh. Gilbert said the boy is suffering from neurasthenia, I, I think he said. Psychoneurotic, huh? Uh, yes, on account of the way his father died. Gilbert's afraid the boy may take his own life tonight. Why tonight, especially? Well, it seems that Kenneth drinks a lot at these parties and gets depressed. And my job is... To see that he doesn't commit suicide tonight. I've looked forward to more pleasant evenings. I, I think that's the place up ahead with all the lights on. Yeah, that's the address you mentioned. We must be about 15 miles from town. Uh, 14 and 7 tenths by my speedometer, well, Flit, I may as well take off. What are you going to do? Oh, I'll sit here in my car and listen to the radio, sort of keep my eye on things from the outside. Good idea. See you later, then. Here we go again, Holiday. Oops, the name's George Flit, detective. Remember? Beyond this door, who knows? But it's a beautiful house. A beautiful night. And a beautiful girl. Good evening. Oh, good evening. I'm looking for Mr. Gilbert Bolton. Won't you come in? And you are... Uh, George Flitt. You say you're George Flitt? That's right. 
I'm Rita Martin. How do you do? Now, let's go in and find Gilbert Belton, Mr. Flett. Oh, Holiday, here's a jungle cat. A vampire right of, of Terry and the pirates. That jet black hair, those heavy-lidded eyes. That glistening crimson mouth. And something else. Yes, heavy, cloying, sensuous. A perfume such as you've never known before. That's something to remember this Rita Martin by. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you are. Oh, Gilbert. Yes, Rita. Gilbert Bolton, this is George Flitt. George, how do you do, Mr. Flitt? Mr. Bolton? If you'll excuse me, gentlemen, I'll see you all a bit later. So, you're George Flitt, the detective. Yes, that's right. Your voice seemed, well, different over the phone. Well, you know, detectives, many disguises, many voices. <laughs> Got to keep them confused, you know. Somehow I picked it you differently. Oh? Well, no matter. You know why you're here. Yes, to keep my eye on your nephew, Kenneth Bolton. More than that, to keep him from killing himself. The way this man looks at you, Holiday. So cool, so calculating. With piercing eyes that thud against the back of your skull. He could be one of two men. A man of distinction or a man of extinction. Okay, Mr. Bolton, I'll keep your nephew alive. That's your job. Well, what makes you think the boy wants to commit suicide? Well, since his father, my brother, took his life, Kenneth has been extremely upset. It's only natural, Mr. Bolton. I know, but I've heard Kenneth threaten suicide, and it's got me worried. Anyone else heard him? Yes, Miss Martin. Uh, anyone else? What do you mean, anyone else? I just wondered if anyone else had heard him make these threats. I really wouldn't know. It's enough that Rita and I know about it. How does Rita figure in this picture? Aren't you being a bit presumptuous, Mr. Flitt? A detective likes to know these things. Miss Martin is an old friend of the family. Oh, there's Kenneth now. I'll bring him over. Just as Gilbert Bolton passed me, there was something familiar about him. What was it? Who was it? Come on, think, Holiday. It may be an important clue. But here they come. The man of extinction and a typical boy from Princeton or Yale or Harvard. George Flitt, my nephew, Kenneth Bolton. Glad to meet you. How do you do? Enjoying yourself, Mr. Flitt? Very much. How about you? Oh, so-so. These parties get to be a boy, you know. Kenneth hasn't been quite himself since the tragedy. Must you always bring that up, Uncle? But you know you've been terribly upset, Kenneth. So I've been upset. Why talk about it? Oh, Mr. Flitt. Yes? Will you come with me for a moment? Oh, I sure. So close in here that I thought a breath of air. It suits me. In the garden. The garden it is. Hmm. Nice. A moon, too. Mm -hmm. Lovely, lovely night. Ah, the scent of those flowers. Exquisite, isn't it? Uh-huh. But not to compare with your perfume. You noticed it. Yes, it was so unusual. It's called Whispering Gown. Whispering Gown? Mm, I like the name. Say. Yes? I know where they got that name. Oh? From Cerno de Bergerac. The passage where he describes Roxanne. 
Across my life, one whispering silken gown. That was lovely. You're quite literary, aren't you, Mr. Flitt? Well, yes and no. Just what do you do? Gilbert Bolton didn't tell you. No. No, but let's sit on this bench and you tell me all about yourself. As you come close to her, you get another whiff of... And suddenly you've got it. That's what bothers you about Gilbert Bolton. Her perfume rubbed off on him. It is an old friend of the family. She's young and a close friend of Gilbert Bolton's. She's brought you out here for a reason. Well, aren't you going to sit down? Oh, I sure, but uh, just a minute. I want to borrow some cigarettes. I've got plenty of cigarettes. I'll be right back. Something about this whole setup is as phony as a china egg. And as the crooks in your story say, better case the joint before you go inside. There. There's a window. Just pull the bushes back. Let's take a gander. Well, everything looks on the up and up. Kenneth with a drink on the table beside him, and there's his uncle coming up. Hmm. He set another full drink right beside Kenneth. Hey, what else is he doing? You'd better get in there, Holiday, and fast. Mind if I, I join you, gentlemen? Well, not at all, not at all. You appeared quite uh, suddenly. Care for a drink, Mr. Plitt? Here, I haven't touched this one. No, no, let me fix Mr. Flitt a fresh drink. <laughs> I think I'll just have one of these hors d'oeuvres. Hey, what's it? My drink. Oh, I'm... I'm sorry. Flitt, you... you awkward idiot. Oh, excuse me. Yes, Uncle. Accidents will happen. I didn't really feel like another drink. It was your idea, remember? Well, Mr. Flitt, were you able to borrow some cigarettes? I was ambushed by... Glad you're here, Rita. I have a proposal to make. Yes? What say we all run up to my penthouse for a while? Oh, sounds good. What do you say, Mr. Flynn? Fine. I think a change of scenery would be nice. Well, you'll enjoy the view overlooking Green Hill Park from the penthouse, Mr. Flint. Oh, good. What's the address? Uh, tell you what, Mr. Flint. Rita, Kenneth, and myself will go ahead in my car. Then you can follow us in yours. Well, maybe I'd better go with Mr. Flint to keep him in company. No, I'd like you with me, Kenneth. There's something I uh, want to discuss with you. Important. Oh, per, perhaps I should have the address in case I lose you. you that, know, that won't be necessary. Uh, just follow me. Of course, Holiday, you could be wrong, but it looks like Gilbert Bolton isn't too anxious to have you find his penthouse. Ah, but you're a suspicious lad, Holiday. You've created so many diabolical characters for so many fiendish plots. Maybe you, maybe you've become a little touched. Time's a waste on holiday. Get to a phone. Ah, there it is, end of the hallway. Now, if Max on duty in the morgue of the Star Times, we'll ask a few questions. Star Times reference room. Hello, Mac. This is Dan Holiday. Ah, oh, Danny, what can I do you for? Say, you got anything on the Bolton suicide? Just filed those clips away yesterday. And even if this is a clips joint, I won't charge you a penny. Clips joint. You get it, Dan? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 I get it. What about Bolton? Poisoned himself. Left all his dough to his son, name of Kenneth. Anything else? Well, there was something about Bolton's brother, uh, Gilbert. He sort of taken over and helping the boy. Kid was pretty broke up. Hey, Dan. Hey, did you hang up? No, but someone did. Someone was listening on another extension. <laughs>
Hey, this is the fastest hot rod I've ever driven. We're keeping right up with the Bolton. And he's doing 70. <laughs> Wait until you shift into high gear. Where are we going? To a penthouse, I hope. Gilbert Bolton's. Hmm. What happened at the party? Oh, Rita Martin tried to get me into the garden, and I got suspicious. Trying to keep you away from your job, wasn't she? Yeah, so I rushed back into the house, stopping to case the joint through a window. Case the joint? <laughs> a detective talk. Yeah, then I got into trouble with Bolton. Well, how? By knocking a drink from his nephew's hand. Huh? Uh, what did the uncle do? He got insulting. Then all of a sudden, he suggested going to his penthouse. Watch it, watch it. He, he's slowing down. Yeah, I wonder what his idea is. Oh, he's just slowing down for that train. But he only slowed down for a second. Look at him go. I know what he's doing. He's trying to beat that train to the crossing. He's trying to lose us. Step on the gas. Step on the gas, Mr. Holliday. Okay. Mr. Holliday, are we going to make it? He made it, but I don't know about us. You are listening to Box 13, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. And now, back to Box 13, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. such a close shave, I'll see my barber. Yeah, me too. Gosh, Mr. Holliday, I thought I could handle this hot rod, but the way you whipped her off the road just short of those tracks, I... Mm, not a scratch on her. Lucky us. Oh, that train must be a mile long. Mm, by the time it passes, Bolton can be in Alaska. What's the address of his penthouse? You're asking me. All I know is it overlooks Green Hill Park. Our next stop... George, Greenhill Park. <laughs> I bet all these buildings have penthouses. We'll try them all until we hit the right one. I'll go around this side of the park. Okay, and I'll try the buildings around the other side. Bolton's got to be in one. Do you have a Mr. Bolton in your penthouse? No one here by that name. A Bolton in the penthouse? No, but uh, we have a Botsford in the basement. Why, yes, Mr. Gilbert Bolton came in a short time ago. Hello? No, with a lady and gentleman. Want to go up? Oh, please. Did Mr. Bolton say anything about expecting more guests? No, sir. Do me a favor. If a little fellow with a squeaky voice shows up asking for Bolton, tell him I'm here, will you? Dan Holliday. Yes, sir. Oh, here you are. Thank you, sir. Your floor, sir. Uh, that's the penthouse door over there. Right. I've got a sneaking hunch I won't be welcome. Flip, how did you get up here? You, uh, you didn't expect me? Oh, yes, yes, of course, but uh, you've earned your money. You can, well, you can go home now. I'm sorry, Miss Mart, but Mr. Bolton hired me. It's up to him to fire me. But he's not here. He and Kenneth both went out. May I come in and wait? No. Goodbye. 
Now, what does the intrepid hero of my stories do? Hmm, he looks for another door. Like that one. He tries it. It's open. Leads into a hallway. And there's yet another door. The service entrance to Bolton's penthouse. And ten to one, it's locked, bolted, and barred. Maybe even nailed shut. You're some gambler, Holiday. Offer ten to one and lose. The door's open. Well, here we go again. Quiet holiday. Ah, there's a door leading to the terrace and voices. Now get your ear up, Holiday. But don't let them see you. Don't you think it's a little chilly out here, Uncle? Let's go inside. Chilly, Kenneth? I'm really very comfortable. Here's the view I was telling you about, Kenneth. Better lean over the rail a bit to see around that turret. Oh, don't push against me, Uncle. That's a ten-story drop. Now... Look over there, Kenneth. Uncle Gill! Kenneth, let's get away from that rail. Don't flip you. Don't have to throw me back. Better than having your uncle throw you forward. What's the meaning of this outrage? How did you get in here anyway? I'm going to call the police. Fine, and save me the trouble. Look, Kenneth, I was hired to keep you from committing suicide. Suicide? Who, me? Yeah, but instead I'm keeping you from being murdered. Feel in your coat pocket. Ignore him, Kenneth. He doesn't know what he's talking about. A bottle? It's marked poison. Yeah, I saw your uncle planted in your pocket through the garden window. He wanted to make it look like you poisoned that drink I knocked from your hand. Stop right there, Holiday. This isn't a cap pistol. You too, Kenneth. Don't move. Well, you must be crazy, Uncle Gill. And you knew I was Dan Holiday all along, huh? Of course. I've seen your picture in the book review pages. And I caught you a telephone conversation with the Star Times. On the extension. You get around. I can't believe this. You, you, my uncle... What's the play now, Bolton? Well, first I walk over to Kenneth and knock him out with his gun. Don't, don't move, Holiday. I've still got you covered. Oh? And now that you've knocked out your nephew, what's your next move? Mr. Holiday, before I heave him over the rail to make it look like suicide, I'm going to shoot you. Oh, fine. Then I'll wipe my fingerprints off this gun and press my nephew's hand around the butt. Hmm. His fingerprints on the gun will prove he shot me, huh? But what about a motive? Very simple. You tried to stop him from jumping off the terrace. And you're supposed to invent plots, Mr. Holliday. But they'll trace the gun to you, Bolton. Oh, no. It's Kenneth's gun. I took it from his room. And you wanted a detective on hand to throw off suspicion? Yes, Mr. Holliday. Who'd suspect Gilbert of murder when he'd hired a detective to protect Kenneth? But why? Why do you want to kill your nephew? Let's say I borrowed quite a large sum I can't make good. Oh. Embezzlement, huh? And you need Kenneth's inheritance to keep out of jail. Wouldn't he lend you the money? Not the amount we need. We? Obviously. So we're taking it all. Clever, eh, Holiday? You're killing me. You're so right. Get rid of whoever it is, Rita. If that isn't help, Holiday, forget about writing the great American novel. 
No room in a coffin for typing. I tell you, you now really can't. Here, I've got to go in and see. I know. I say you can't come in. I tell you, I've got to get in. I know Dan Holliday's in here and nobody's Never mind, Rita. I couldn't stop him. I've got plenty of bullets. Welcome to the party, George. Hello, Mr. Holliday. A gun. Let me out of here. Stop. Stop or I'll shoot. Gilbert, watch out. Thanks for the distraction, Flip. Now, Mr. Gilbert Bolton, you know how your nephew feels. Well, I know how it feels to be on the right end of this Smith & Wesson. You knocked him out. What are you going to do? Do? Well, since the party's getting dull, let's invite a few more boys. Say, from headquarters. This is Box 13, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Come in. Hello, Mr. Holliday. Hello, Susie. Ah, Mr. George Flitt, detective. How's the arm, Mr. Flitt? Oh, it's uh, healing up fine. One of the bullets just grazed me. You know, I bled quite a lot. Say, wasn't that awful, them trying to kill that boy? And he really wasn't psycho whatchamacallit at all. Uh, Bolton cooked that up to support the suicide story. Oh. What's going to happen to them, Mr. Holliday? Well, they've got Bolton for embezzlement and attempted murder. They're holding Rita as his accomplice. And she was such a beautiful girl and so sweet, too. Yes, George, you can say that again. H- how's the rod hot these days, Mr. Flitt? Hot rod, Susie. Hot rod, rod hot, red hot. Oh, how is it anyway? Red hot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, it's fine. And, Mr. Holliday, Mm? even if I did run away from that gun, I really do have the heart of a lion. But of course, George. Only thing is, (laughs) it's a scaredy cat lion. Next week, same time, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box... Thirteen. Alan Ladd appears through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures and may currently be seen in Wild Harvest. Box 13 is directed by Ted Hediger. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager with an original story by Larry Kraft. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. This is a Mayfair production. This is Ronald Coleman inviting you to radio's most dramatic half hour, Favorite Story. Mark Twain was a man with a great zest for life. 
when I'm playful, he said, I use the meridians of longitude and the parallels of latitude for a hook and drag the Atlantic Ocean for whales. I scratch my head with the lightning and purr myself to sleep with the thunder. Born Samuel Clemens, he took his pen name from the ancient cries Mark One, Mark Twain, which were measures of navigation used on the old Mississippi riverboats. He swore the name would remain what it had always represented, a sign and symbol of the petrified truth. This is the favorite story of my friend Dennis Day, and it's a pleasure to bring you Mark Twain's The Man Who Corrupted Hadleyburg. You, you did it. Don't look the other way. I'm talking to you, mister. You probably don't even remember it, but you kicked me as if I were a dog. I want you to know, I don't forget easily, and I'll get my revenge. Lots of things heal. You get a wound, and it scabs and heals and goes away. But the memory of hunger sticks. I was hungry the day I drifted into that fine, honest town of Hadleyburg. But none of your fine, honest citizens would offer me to heal from a loaf of bread. Why? You don't like bums in Hadleyburg. Get out of town. This is an honest place. Incorruptible. Yeah. It's easy enough to be honest when there are no temptations around. Your big city seal on that courthouse, that's a laugh. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> temptation. Hey, that's how I'll get my revenge. I'll tempt them. Not just one or a dozen, the whole town. The whole fine, honest town of Hadleyburg. I'll corrupt them. <laughs> This is Hadleyburg. Ten at night. Nice town, isn't it? Clean, self-sufficient, and righteous. Kind of dumb animals. Incorruptible. You see that sack in the back seat of this carriage? What do you suppose is in it? A hundred and sixty pounds, four ounces of revenge. But gentle revenge, mister, with all the machinery attached. Contains a noose custom-built to fit the neck of each solid citizen. I don't have to do a thing. Just sit back and watch each solid citizen hang himself. <laughs> whoa, whoa, Bessie. Here's our first stop. Quiet, isn't it? And peaceful. <laughs> you know whose house this is? Edward Richards, the old cashier at the bank. This man is so honest it hurts. If you drop a penny at his window at the bank, he'd run three blocks to give it back to you. Well, this is where we begin. Let's see what happens when temptation rears its ugly head. Come on, temptation. Yes, come in. Do I have the pleasure of addressing Mrs. Richards, Mrs. Edward Richards? Yes. Is Mr. Richards at home? Uh, he's upstairs. I'll call him. No, no, don't don't let me disturb you. I merely wish to place this sack in a safe place. Yes. There. Would you ask your husband to keep this in his care until the rightful owner is found? But who shall I say that? I'm a stranger in town. He doesn't know me. I'm merely passing through here to take care of this business. Now it's finished, 
You'll never see me again. I'd really better call Edward in matters like these. How will he know? Please, it's not necessary. There's a note attached to the sack which will explain everything. But I... Good night, uh, Mrs. Richards. Well, I never... A note? To be published or the right man sought out by private inquiry, either method will do... This sack contains gold coin weighing 160 pounds, four ounces. <gasps> Edward! Edward, lock the doors. Pull down the window shade. Why, Mary, what's the matter? Oh, the strangest thing just happened. Please lock the door. Mary, you're trembling. What happened? Lock the door. Oh, very well, yes. Yeah. Look. Look at that sack. Oh, what's in it? Gold. 160 pounds, four ounces. What? How did it get here? There's a note with it. Listen. I... I'm a foreigner about to return to my own country to remain there permanently. Before I leave, I must repay a debt of kindness from a citizen of Hadleyburg done me a year or two ago. Let me see that. I was a gambler. I arrived in Hadleyburg at night, hungry and without a penny. I asked for help in the dark. I was ashamed to beg in the light. I begged of the right man. He gave me $20. That is to say, he gave me life. He also gave me fortune, for I took that $20 and gambled myself rich. Oh, good that heaven, man Edward. also made a, a remark to me that has changed the course of my life. Now I have no idea who that man was, and I want him to have this money. Oh, what do you suppose he said? Who do you suppose it oh, Mary, was? Mary, please, just a minute. Uh, there's more. The plan is this. Publish this letter in the local newspaper, and 30 days from now, 8 o'clock Friday evening, let the candidate appear at the town hall and hand his remark in a sealed envelope to the Reverend Mr. Burgess, if he will be kind enough to act. Then let Reverend Burgess destroy the seals of the sack, open it. There's a sealed envelope containing the correct remark. If it tallies, let the money be delivered with my gratitude to my benefactor. Now, that's it. Oh, what a strange thing, and what a fortune for that kind man who cast his bread upon the water. A hundred and sixty pounds. Why, Mary, that's about forty thousand it, dollars. It, it, it's a fortune. What are you going to do with it? Just what it says to do. <laughs> or we could just take it and stuff it in the mattress and burn the letter, oh, eh? Edward, <laughs> please don't joke. It hasn't been fun being poor all our lives. Do you say that, Mary, because deep in your heart you wish the gold were ours? That I were the man who said the kind words to this gambler? As I do, do you really want to burn this letter? Not joking, but really... Burn it? Edward, take this letter to the newspaper quickly. Now, right now. He does not into temptation. Of course we'll publish it, Richards. It's an exciting thing. Great thing for the paper. Great thing for Hadleyburg. Yes, I thought you'd see it that way. Think of what a noise it'll make. Every other town on the map will be jealous. No stranger would trust such a thing to any other town but Hadleyburg. We're honest here. Yes, Mr. Cox. We're honest. I'll get this into type this very minute. Make the morning paper. Make every wire service in the country, too. Mark my words. Oh, uh, where is the money now? Maybe we'll need some pictures of the sack. AP might want pictures. It's at my place. I'll move it to the bank in the morning. Think it's safe, Richards? Wouldn't want anybody to steal it. In Hadleyburg, Mr. Cox. Well, you never know when another bum might pass through, like this gambler chap, hungry. Hungry man will do anything. Yes, 
say, I wonder why this gambler ever named Reverend Burgess to handle the ceremony. I guess he doesn't know about the scandal Burgess got into a few years back. Or maybe he does know. Maybe he knows Burgess was innocent. Oh, yes, Richard. I remember now. You defended Burgess then, didn't you? Foolish. Shouldn't always be sticking up for the underdog, Richard. You'd be a rich man today if you weren't always so blame foolish. Rich, say, you're at the bank. How much do you roughly estimate this sack of gold is worth in good American dollars? About 40000 40000 oh, That's incredible. It's a lot of money. Well, sit down a minute. Close the door and sit down. Who knows about this except you and me and this gambler who left the sack? My wife. What would happen if I didn't publish it? If you and I, well, Richards, don't look at me like that. And you're the editor of the Hadleyburg paper? Oh, well, we've been trained since the cradle to do the honest thing at all times. I know all about it. You don't have to tell me. I never had shade or shadow of a doubt of my honesty until now. And now, under the very first big and real temptation, I... Cox, it's my belief that this town's honesty is as rotten as mine is. As rotten as yours is. What? Oh, it's a mean town. A hard, stingy town. And hasn't a virtue in the world but this honesty it's so celebrated for and so conceited about. And let me tell you, Cox... And if a day comes when its honesty falls under great temptation, its grand reputation will go to ruin like a house of cards. Well, now, I've made my confession and I feel better. Let no man call me honest again. Richards, I don't think you're a true citizen of Hadleyburg. I'll publish the letter. <laughs> Well, the AP picked up the story all right. And by breakfast time the next morning, the name of Hadleyburg the Incorruptible was on every lip in America. Hadleyburg itself woke up world-celebrated, astonished, happy, and vain. Vain beyond imagination. Its 19 principal citizens and their wives went about shaking hands and beaming and congratulating themselves. <laughs> but, mister, this was only the beginning. Only the cheese sat adroitly in the trap. The minute all the mice troop in and all the rats to nibble at the cheese, the trap will be sprung. <laughs> Hadleyburg, the incorruptible, will be corrupted. the favorite story of Dennis Day, The Man Who Corrupted Hadleyburg by Mark Twain, and it features Frank Lovejoy in the leading role. Mark Twain called it a tale of magnificent irony. So, Maestro Sweeten, the downbeat, please, for music ironic and magnificent. Act two. <laughs> Plan was working. I didn't have to be in every bedroom of Hadleyburg to know what made each solid citizen toss and turn. What was the remark? If I could only think of the remark. If we could guess. If we could only guess. And the sack of gold would belong to us. We'd be rich. 
If he had come to me, what would I have said to him? Think, think. Toss, squirm. That's it. Suffer a little. What was it? What was it? What was it? Step number two, a letter. Addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Edward Richards, Hadleyburg. Edward, look, a letter addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Edward Richards, Hadleyburg. Open it. My dear Mr. and Mrs. Richards, I am a stranger to you, but no matter. I know who made the remark. It was Barclay Goodson, who's dead and has no heirs. I was standing near him the night he made it and heard exactly what he said. Now, I happen to know that the only man in town who ever did Goodson a service was you, Richard. Uh, and Goodson told me so. To the sack of gold rightfully belongs to you. Yeah. This is the remark. You are far from being a bad man. Go and reform. Signed, a friend. So that was the remark. How modest you are, Edward. You never told me the great service you did for Goodson. Oh, it was fine and beautiful of you never to mention well, it. Well, Mary, but I... you ought to have told me, Edward. You ought to have told your wife. Well, you see, Mary, I... I couldn't. Why couldn't you? Well, he... He made me promise I wouldn't. Aha, the first lie. Now, Richard... Toss and turn and try to think of what you did for Goodson, huh? $40,000 is a lot of money. And you know the remark now, and Goodson has no heirs. But what was it you did? What good service? You can't remember. No, can't. I can't remember. I can't. Oh. oh, I forgot to mention. At the exact moment when Mr. Edward Richards received that letter... 18 other fine, upstanding citizens of Hadleyburg received the exact same letter. All night long, 18 principal citizens did what their brother Richards was doing. They put in their energies trying to remember what great service they had done for Barclay Goodson. And let me tell you, that wasn't an easy job. And while they were at this work, which was tough, their wives put in the night spending the money, which was easy. During the night, the 19 wives spent an average of $7,000 each out of the 40000 in the sack, totaling 133000 altogether. The next day, the Reverend Burgess, who doubted if there would be one claimant, was the most surprised man in town. For he suddenly and quite secretly received 19 sealed envelopes. And he had all 19 envelopes tucked away in his pocket when the Great Friday came at last. The town hall had never looked more splashy. Flags, bunting, the works. The gold sack stood on the table in front of the podium. Everybody looked at it with a mouth-watering interest. Nineteen couples gazed at it tenderly, lovingly, each with a proprietary interest. And the husbands kept saying over to themselves a little impromptu moving speech in answer to the audience's cheers and congratulations. Then Reverend Burgess got up. Citizens of Hadleyburg, 
Our town has an old and well-earned reputation for honesty. And now, a grateful stranger has left us a sack of gold. And the fame of Hadleyburg's good name has spread throughout the world. And now, my friends, I shall take an envelope out of my pocket and read its contents. I read. The remark which I made to the distressed stranger was this. You are far from being a bad man. Go and reform. <laughs> Mr. Bilson. The house was ready to burst into applause, but instead it was stricken with paralysis. Because in one part of the hall, Deacon Bilson was standing up with his head meekly bowed, and in another part of it, Lawyer Wilson was doing the same. Why do you rise, Mr. Wilson? Because I have a right to. Perhaps you will be good enough to explain to the house why you rise. Of course. Because I wrote that paper. You're a dirty liar. I wrote it myself. Gentlemen. I asked the chair to read the name signed to that paper. Yes, of course. John Wharton Bilson. There! There, there! What have you got to say for yourself now? Wilson, well, I demand an apology. No apologies are due. Bilson, I publicly charge you with pilfering my note from Mr. Pilfing Burgess no, no, and no. substituting a copy of it signed with your own name. There's no other way you could have gotten hold of that test remark. Stop. I alone of living men possess the secret of its work. Obviously been a mistake somewhere, but surely that is all. If Mr. Wilson gave me an envelope, and I remember now that he did, I still have it. Oh, me! Yes. The remark I made to the unhappy stranger was this. You are far from being a bad man. Go and reform. Well, what can this mean? And this one is signed... Thurlow G. Wilson. There. I reckon that settles it. I told you my note was stolen. Are you sure to No, I will let you. I'll sue you for defamation. Gentlemen, gentlemen, order. Take your seats, both of you, please. Open it. Open the sack. Yeah, maybe neither remark is correct. Very well, ladies and gentlemen. Let us see if these remarks tally with what is in the stranger's sack. With your permission, I shall open it. Ah, I find two envelopes here. One is marked not to be opened until all written communications which have been addressed to the chair have been read. The other is marked the test. I shall open the test first, then. I quote, You are far from being a bad man. Go and reform. It was at that point that one woman in the audience began to see the irony of it, and she began to laugh. It wasn't quite a humorous laugh, but it was infectious, and it began to catch like fire spray. Just a minute, my friends! Just a minute, please! Citizens of Hadleyburg, this is not a laughing matter. We have further business to attend to. Yes. Why, Reverend, have we found two symbols of incorruptibility, Wilson and Bilson? Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I have more communications in my pocket. Read what? them, Reverend. Read them. Very well, my friend. The remark I made to the stranger was, 
You are far from being a bad man. Go and reform. Oh, for my leg. Signed, L.J. Pinkerton, the bank president. Three. Three symbols of incorruptibility. And still another. You are far from being a bad man. Go and reform. Signed, Joseph Sargent, councilman. Keep reading. your pocket again. Very well. You are far from being a bad man. Go and reform. Five symbols. Keep reading. How many you got, Reverend? Nineteen envelopes altogether. Nineteen. <laughs> well, he kept going that way through eighteen envelopes. Several of the 19 got up to try to leave, but the crowd shoved them back in their seats. Old Edward Richards and his wife sat there trembling, waiting for their envelopes to open, knowing the shame that was going to come to them. But the Reverend paused when he'd finished reading the 18th envelope. Ladies and gentlemen, I find that I do not have 19 envelopes as I had thought. Only 18. Ain't 18 them crooks enough in the most honest town in the United States, Reverend? 18, yes, sir. 18 symbols of incorruptibility. Who gets inside? I say, give it to Richard. Old Edward Richard. He seems to be the only honest man. My friends, my friends, one moment, please. Please. There seems to be nobody in our assembly who has quoted the exact remark. And since the chair has read all the communications, it is time to read the second envelope the stranger has deposited in this sack. Read it, Reverend. Very well. Citizens of Hadleyburg, there is no test remark. Nobody made one. There wasn't any $20 contribution or any wise benediction. I made them all up. I passed through your town once, and received an injury I have not forgotten. I wanted to damage every one of you in your vanities. And when I realized how carefully you kept yourselves out of temptation, I knew what to do. The weakest of all weak things is a virtue which has not been tested. And so I decided to tempt you. I think I shall make liars and thieves out of every leading citizen of your town. Now, open the sack. My friends, they are only gilded discs of lead. <laughs> my friends, my friends, Edward, sit down. My friends, listen to me. Reverend Burgess, in the goodness of his heart, has made a liar out of himself as well in order to protect me from being a thief. I helped him once when no one else in this horrible town would come to his defense. And now he's paying me back by hiding in his pocket a 19th lying, cheating envelope. Mine, my friends, mine. Edward, we are all to blame. It's a joke, a big joke. <laughs> Stop laughing. Stop laughing. My friends, be quiet. Be quiet. Mary is right. It's not a laughing matter. And we're all to blame. And so, let us rip down our city seal, which reads, Lead us not into temptation. We need a new motto. Yes, my friend, a new motto. Deliver us from evil. 
legislature upon prayer and petition, Hadleyburg was allowed to change its name to, well, never mind, we won't give it away. It's an honest town once more, and the man will have to rise early that catches it napping again. Our thanks to all the members of the cast, to Lawrence and Lee, who dramatized and directed, and to Dennis Day, who named Mark Twain's The Man Who Corrupted Hadleyburg as his favorite story. Next week, two murderers flee as far as possible from the scene of their crime. But they bring themselves to justice in an unexpected way. It's a story of fear and suspense. Pacific Crossing, the favorite story of the famous conductor, Mr. Paul Whiteman. And when we dramatize it for you next week at this time, we hope you'll be listening. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more from Box 13, Favorite Story, past episodes of this podcast, all the other ones, and everything else Relic Radio at the website relicradio.com. You'll find our Shoutcast stream there as well with even more old-time radio. And don't forget, if you'd like to help out and are able to, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on the link on the website and help this show come to you again next week. Until then, thanks for joining me today. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.